Cause sometimes I be right Hello Welcome To the show How's everybody feeling? I am feeling great I am feeling amazing I am feeling tired If I'm being honest, I'm tired Spent the uh Last few days That's four days I think, four, five days I don't know, in Disney Right, with the fam On a little vacay Wonderful time As you can imagine But uh You know, I'm a little tired Flew back in yesterday Feeling good, feeling great We had some big news over the weekend What'd you think we were gonna start with? Let's be honest what up, Cyber Family? If this is your first time joining us, welcome. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I am your host, John Favs, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally. You know, I've been calling Wally my co-host. I don't think he's ever said anything except for the intro. Maybe we should incorporate Wally. What do he think? I don't know. But look, what did you think we was going to start with? What did you think... On, on Sunday evening, what did you think I was going to come here and start with? That's right! <laughs> Listen, sometimes I be right. Sometimes I love being wrong. And I came in and I made a prediction that Jake Paul would knock out Tommy Fury. I thought that Tommy Fury would try so hard to get the knockout. He already eats a lot of punches. He would be leaving himself wide open. In an effort to be overly aggressive to knock out Jake Paul. And in some ways, that turned out to be right. But what I underestimated was how well Tommy Fury could take a punch. Now, for those of you who don't know, Tommy Fury defeated Jake Paul by call it a split decision. But in reality, if you're watching the fight, there is no way, any way... You realistically thought Jake Paul won that fight. So let's say he fairly convincingly beat Jake Paul. If not for a point deduction for holding, which was kind of bogus. And if not for a knockdown in the last round, which, let's be honest, wasn't a full-on knockdown. It was a really good shot by Jake, coupled with a, a slip on, on the lettering in the ring for, for Tommy. And you can see he was never hurt. He got right back up. He wasn't like he was hurt or anything. Like, it was just a slip. And so much so that he proceeded to beat the living dog snot out of Jake Paul for the next two minutes of that round. If not for those two things, it's a runaway victory for Tommy. In fact, I think if you're watching that fight, you probably think, wow. You think higher of Tommy Fury today than you did going in. Even though... Us boxing fans who watch boxing realize Tommy Fury also himself, not very good. He has a ceiling on how far he can get to. He's not winning a world title anytime soon. And yet, he still threw more punches and landed more punches in every single round of this fight than Jake Paul did. And Jake Paul looked like Jake Paul always looks like trash. Head down, throwing wild looping shots. He only wants to throw the right hand. It's the only thing he feels comfortable with. He has no second option. He has no way to get past the jab. He has no moves, no game plan. It literally is, I'm going to knock you out or then what? 
Tommy Fury was able to take his best punch solid. He hit Tommy flush multiple times without flinching. And Tommy just kept coming forward, kept popping out the jab, kept throwing combinations, was right there the entire night. Jake Paul could not get him out, which brings me back to something I said a long time ago before the Tyron Woodley fight. I said, I don't think Jake Paul has real power. I think he has power that can knock out someone who's not really a fighter or someone who's older or someone who's not really, you know, like me. He could knock me out. Sure. Sure. hundred percent he could. But. Could he knock out? Is he going to go in there against real fighters, real boxers, guys who have been hit by the best and knock those guys out? I don't think he has that kind of power. And then he knocked out Tyron Woodley face planted him and I said "Ah, I guess I was wrong he's got real power but in this fight I think I saw exactly what I saw originally where you hit Tyron Tyron Woodley an older guy a guy who's a little punch drunk a guy who had his hands completely down a guy who you know later like yeah but against a guy your size against a guy your age against a guy who's been doing this sport it was a different story It was a different story. His power didn't translate like that. Tommy Fury even said after the fight, yeah, he's strong, but I've fought guys who hit harder than that. He's not the hardest puncher I've ever ever fought against or I've ever sparred against or I've ever been in there with. So the question now is like, oh, man, some people are impressed with Jake Paul to say, well, look, Tommy Tommy Fury is like a real fighter. And look, it was a split decision. Look, Jake Paul was in there landing some punches. And it's like, okay, let's stop this right now. The question was never, is Jake Paul a solid boxer? The question was, is Jake Paul close to a championship? Can Jake Paul beat the likes of a Canelo? Can Jake Paul go in there as a cruiserweight and fight for a cruiserweight title? No. No, he can't. (laughs) No, he's nowhere close. He's, I've said this before, I've said it a million times, and I'll say it again. He's better than people would love to give him credit for. But he's not nearly as good as he believes he is. He's not on the level of even a Tommy Fury. And Tommy Fury, everyone who knows boxing says, that's a low-level fighter. He might, maybe can contend one day for a British title. That was my phone, folks, falling out of my pocket. He might fight for a British title one day. Maybe. Maybe. And that's about the ceiling. That's about as far as he can go. He's not going to challenge for a world title. He's not that good. What you saw on Saturday was two guys who were closer in skill level than anyone would like to admit. Because that would have to give Jake Paul a little more credit to say, all right, he's not dog do. But then you would also have to say that Tommy Fury is also not very good either. So you'd have to take one up a peg and drop one down a peg and say they're about even. But in total punches... Fury outlanded Paul 88 to 49. In jabs, it was 39 to 25. And in power punches, it was 49 to 24. He out, Tommy Fury out threw and outlanded Jake Paul in every single round of that fight. There was never a round in that fight where Jake Paul threw more or landed more. Don't give me this conversation about, yeah, but he had the better punches. Like, what? What this was was an old-fashioned ass-whooping. 
Don't tell me. I, I punched you in your face 10 times. You hit me once. And you think because you threw a hook that you're, you all of a sudden won that round. And that's not how it works. In every way you could win a fight, Tommy Fury won this fight. And expose Jake Paul for what he is. He's a guy who's only three years in, who is a real athlete, and is really committed to this in terms of training. And he's he's better than you would expect. And he's better than most people would be after three years, without question. 100% better than most guys would be boxing for three years. He has committed a tremendous amount of time and energy and effort into getting his skills to where they are now, but he is still light years away from being on any type of legitimate championship road. And I, for one, was very happy to see the judges call it right in, in getting Tommy Fury the decision. I was I was worrying that they would give the decision to Jake Paul because going into it, the WBC said they're going to rank Jake Paul, Jake Paul if he wins. And I thought, hey, for for all my comments were saying for the health of boxing and for the long term future of boxing, he's a draw. So give him the win so we can continue this ride into the next one and continue to eat off the Jake Paul plate. So I'm glad the judges didn't do that. I'm glad they didn't play the politics game and they and they awarded the victory to the guy who actually earned it. Look, you could be a fan of Jake Paul. It's fine to say he didn't look good. He looked terrible. He did not look good in this fight. It happens. He's not very good at boxing. If he's going to be competing on the level of I'm a cruiserweight fighting for a cruiserweight title. He's got no chance, as of right now, zero chance of accomplishing that. Do you think Badu Jack would have any problem with Jake Paul in the ring? He fought on the undercard. He beat the snot out of Makabu. You think that guy, Badu Jack, is having any problem with Jake Paul? He's beating the dog do out of Jake Paul. Easy. It would be, it would literally be... The easiest fight of his life. Jake Paul telegraphs every one of his punches. I'm watching it on my phone. And I'm able to call what punch he's about to throw next. He leans his body a certain way. You know what he's doing. You know his setup. He leaves himself open for punches. He's got no defense. It is what it is. It's not hate. It's reality. So now let's transition into what now? Because the talk has always been the moment Jake Paul loses, everyone loses interest, and the ride is over, his career is over. I don't believe that. I always wanted to see Jake Paul lose for number for two reasons. Number one, because I wanted the truth to be exposed, which is he's okay, but he's not a championship-level fighter. And for anyone who ever thought for a second that Jake Paul could give Canelo Alvarez some problems, you're you're out of your mind. He's giving he's giving Canelo Alvarez zero problems. Canelo would would what Canelo would do to Jake Paul would be so like it would be savagery. He's got no shot. And the number two reason why I wanted to see him lose was I want to know how he's going to bounce back. I want to know what is he going to do? Because now 
we get to really see how committed is he to actually boxing. Because in the post-fight, I was looking, and I was actually sitting with my nephew. We were watching it on my phone, and I said, look, what he says after this fight now is so important because I will support Jake Paul for the rest of my life if he says the right things in this. Because I don't know, if you don't know me, then you don't know this, but if you know me, you know I backed Tony Romo for the rest of my life the moment they lost that game to the Seahawks and he bobbled the snap, the hold. After that game, he faced the media. He answered every single question. Everyone. He took that blame squarely on his shoulders. Didn't flinch for a second. And I said, not only did you have a good year, not only did you show you could play, but you showed that this is the type of guy you are, supports you for life. I will 100% support a guy who I once hated, again, because if you get humbled, and you eat that humble pie, and then you come back, and you say the right things, and you do the right things, and you take it like a man, and you take it on the chin. Look, I didn't like Caleb Plant going into the Canelo fight. After that fight, though, said all the right things. Did all the right things. Earned the respect. Took the loss like, hey, took it. Ate it. And is now working his way back. Because support you forever. Support you forever. Jake Paul, after that fight, started by saying the right things. And kind of did a little of both. He said some of the right things, and then he kind of started throwing in some excuses. And then when he started hearing some boos, or he started seeing that maybe people were like, oh, here we go. He kind of tried to go right back to like, but no, 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 but that's not an excuse, though. Like, that's, you know, fair play to him. It was like, okay. So you kind of one foot in, one foot out. Then he starts putting out some videos where he's pretending to cry and then looks up and smiles and then pretends to cry again and looks up and smiles and then pretends to cry again. And the caption is, when you lost but still walked away with $30 million. And it's like, okay. And then then the next one is him on the plane with his brother and whatever. And he's like, when you lost but your brother's with Logan Paul. And it's like, okay. It's like, so are you upset? With the loss, are you mad that you lost? Or are you just like, hey, I got paid, so who cares? Because fighters care. Because if Tommy loses that fight, he's not going to walk away saying, I lost, but at least I made this amount of money. I don't believe that. (laughs) So if Jake wants to be taken seriously in the sport, he has to take the sport seriously. So what he does next is so important. Because he has an opportunity to show and prove to everyone that he's serious about boxing. And the way he does that is he goes out and he fights another boxer. So now I understand they got the rematch clause. I understand he probably thinks he could beat Tommy Fury. I think he's been in there with him. He knows his power. He knows his movie. He knows he caught him. He can now go back and regroup and fix some of the things. And now he can really game plan for Tommy Fury because he's been in there with him. So he knows what he likes to do. He knows what his reach is. He knows the things that he needs to correct. So I know that that fight is going to happen next. So take that off the table. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the next fight he's going to have against a new opponent. So I was reading online and there's some names coming up and some people like Carl Frotch is talking about he would fight him. I know there's still the Canelo thing. It's like, well, Canelo is still out there. He could always do it. And it's like, well, those two guys, that's not going to happen. 
You got Hasim Rahman Jr., who he tried to fight before. He could try to fight him again. The problem is you're going to have the same issue with Rahman coming down and waiting. Then you have the likes of a Mike Perry, who was the standby guy. You got KSI. You got Nate Diaz. You got Conor McGregor. You got all these guys who are not boxers. Now, I know some of you will say, well, KSI is a boxer. He's been doing it, too. He's just like Jake. We don't look at Jake like that either. Because here's the thing. When Canelo fought Bivol and lost, when they said, who's next for Canelo? Social media, social media influencers never came up. YouTubers never came up. UFC fighters never came up. The names we talked about were boxers. Championship level boxers. Does he fight Boo Boo? Does he fight Bivol again? Does he go down and defend his title at 168? Does he fight Benavidez? Does he fight Better Biev? Like These are the fighters we were talking about because he's a boxer. When Caleb Plant lost to Canelo, we didn't say, well, who's he going to fight next? KSI? Jake Paul? No, we talked about boxers. What fighters are he, is he going to fight next? So Jake, Jake has to fight a boxer. He, can know, he cannot go back and fight the likes of a Mike Perry as a tune-up and then fight a KSI and then call out Nate Diaz. He can't do that anymore. He can't. This fight with Tommy was supposed to take him now to the next level. Those other guys are not on that level. Those other guys don't beat Tommy Fury. I don't think KSI beats Tommy Fury. Are you you kidding me? KSI is terrible. As a boxer. If he was fighting boxers. KSI's resume is just as trash as Jake Paul's. He hasn't beaten anybody either. And the one guy they brought in who they said was a legit boxer. Did you see that kid? I mean, I'm not a, I'm not good at fighting, but I like my chances in that fight to stand in with that guy for eight rounds. Like, come on now. So Jake has a great opportunity to prove his worth. Because he said, you know, because it's a nice quote, don't judge me by my wins, judge me by my losses, and I'll come back. But come back to what? To fighting UFC guys and dominating that realm? Because the reality is, is he was talking like he wanted to be a championship fighter. He loved the sport of boxing. Well, I've said before, he doesn't attend high-profile fights unless they're UFC fights. You'll see him at UFC all the time. You don't see him at boxing matches. Very rarely will he go to a fight. He talks about giving guys their biggest payday. Well, why don't you fight a boxer? Give a young, up-and-coming boxer his biggest payday. Why do you keep giving that big payday to retired UFC guys? Talk about fighter pay. He don't talk about boxing fighter pay. He don't talk about boxers not really getting compensated properly. Maybe they should get a little more to pie. He don't talk about boxing promoters and the shady stuff they do. The only time he talks about boxing is when he wants to dog it for like, oh, you got all these guys who don't really give you the fights we want. That's why UFC is killing it. He's constantly talking about the UFC and figuring out ways to improve the UFC. He don't do that for boxing. So now you have the opportunity to say, look, I'm committed to this sport. I'm going to contribute to this sport. I'm going to continue to fight in this sport and not just use this sport to make my own money and then walk away and be good. I'm going to try to further the sport. I'm going to try to give the fans the fights they want. Because he can manage his own career. He can fight whoever he wants. He could call out whoever he wants. He can look at any cruiserweight and say, I want to fight you. And there is a great chance, a great chance, that cruiserweight will go ahead and fight him. 
If Jake Paul came out right now today and said, my next fight is going to be against Badu Jack, are you watching? 100%. The haters of Jake Paul are going to watch it to watch Jake Paul get his living, get his ass beat. And the lovers of Jake Paul are going to watch it and think, what if he beats this guy? Oh, my God. Jake Paul needs to continue to challenge himself in the sport of boxing and not just use boxing to make money while fighting guys who don't know how to box. Because I've said it a million times. Jake Paul 100% is committed to training and learning the sport of boxing and improving his skills. The problem is he's using that knowledge against guys who don't have it. Against guys who are too old or too small or are coming from a different sport who have all these disadvantages. You are using your advantages to destroy people who are not worthy of that. And you're hoping by doing that enough, you can call out a big name and have enough of a resume to be able to say, I'm 20 and 0 with 20 knockouts. You got to fight me and drum up enough interest to where people would be curious to how that's going to turn out. But I would I would bet that Jake Paul is going to go back the route of fighting UFC guys and celebrities and whoever else is a nobody that pops up that he could fight. He'll fight KSI. Maybe he'll slink back into the YouTube boxing world and the Misfits boxing, which is where he belongs. Maybe he'll go back to that and he finally learned, like, you know what, let me go there, make my money because that's what it's really about. But we'll see. So it's very important. I'm very interested to watch it. But uh, we got him. He's out of here. He now has to work his way back to being able to talk any trash ever again. So he's got to get a win before he can run his mouth again. And we're going to see if he could do it. By the way, in a rematch, I like Tommy to actually knock him out this time. He knows that he could take his power. He knows how fast he is. He knows where he likes to go, what he likes to do. He's comfortable now. He definitely knocks Jake Paul out in a rematch. So I think Jake Paul's got a long road back. Maybe avoid the rematch altogether and start over. Moving on now. Something I wanted to talk about, actually, um, so like I said, I've been in Disney through the weekend, so it's been a weird week for me. I haven't really been uh, following too closely with the sports, but a few things jumped out to me. And one of them was uh, this year in baseball, they're going to be implementing a pitch clock, right? So you're going to have, I don't even know how long it is, to be honest with you, but there's a there's a there's basically a play clock now in baseball. And the idea is instead of having so much time in between pitches where batters step out, adjust their straps on their gloves and fix their grip and spit and do whatever they're going to do and then step back in the box and you have an at-bat that lasts forever, it's now timed. So now pitchers can't take long either because there's a time limit. And the idea is to speed up the game. (laughs) Because people are complaining that the sport's too slow, games take too long. I have a problem with this, and I'm not one of those crusty old baseball fans who says, like, look, I love baseball, but I understand baseball is not for everybody. It's not. The only sport that is really fast is football. That's it. That's a fast-paced sport. It's just the way it is. Basketball is fast-paced, too, until you get to the last minute of a tournament game or a finals game, and then there's a timeout every two seconds. And then the last 30 seconds of a game could take 20 minutes of real time. But like football is what every sport is trying to compete with, right? Football is king in this country. They are king. Without a doubt, miles ahead of the field. They've probably lapped everybody. They are the kings of the castle. So I understand. I completely understand why people feel like, hey, you know, let's... uh. You know, let's try to compete with that. 
But the reality is I love baseball. I don't have a problem with the length of a baseball game. Why? Because I know how long it is. Because I know how the game goes. And if I don't want to watch three hours of baseball, I don't. But I'm not going to complain that baseball took too long. I'm not going to complain they need to speed this up. I'm not going to, because that's what the sport is. Now, I'm all for improving the sport. Do whatever you can do to improve the sport, but not improve it to try to compete with another sport. Improve it because you think it's going to help your game be better. Help the sport. You can't compete with anybody else if you're baseball. The game itself, just by nature, is a whole different world. It is. It's different. But there's enough money in the sport to where guys are getting $350 million contracts like it's nothing. You got the Padres with like four guys on their roster making $300 million over the next 10 years. Like there's enough money in the sport to where these guys are getting paid astronomical numbers and nobody's worrying about it. When I turn on the game, the good teams, their stadiums, sold out. When I watch the playoffs, those stadiums, sold out. Like, baseball's not struggling. Your sport is a specific type of sport, and it's going to appeal to a specific type of person. There are plenty of people who hate baseball and don't love baseball, but the people who love baseball are not complaining to you that you need to have a pitch clock. They're not complaining to you you need to shorten the game. Those people love the game as is. They love the game the way it is. They don't have a problem with it. It's the people who don't really like baseball who will tell you all the different things they don't like about baseball. But you don't change the game to appeal to those who don't like it. You leave the game as is and let the fans who love it come to it. Like soccer doesn't change their rules to appeal to people who don't like soccer. The U.S. is not big into soccer like that. It wasn't big into soccer for a long time. We didn't really care about soccer at all. Did they change the rules so that we would be interested? No. No, they kept the sport the way it is. It's the, That's the sport. That's how you play it. Those are the rules. That's whatever it is. Like, that's it. We're not changing for you because you don't like it. It's the biggest sport in the world. And what happened was Americans had to come to it. And those who liked it, like it. And those who don't, don't. I don't like soccer. Never have. Never will. I'm not mad at soccer. I don't hate soccer. I don't think soccer needs to change something so that I would be more interested. It is what it is. I'm just not a fan. I don't like hockey. Hockey doesn't need to change anything so that I would like it. I'm just not a fan of the sport. So whatever their rules are, their customs are, whatever, they got it. NASCAR. I don't like NASCAR. Then NASCAR don't have to change nothing for me. Why would they change something for me? I'm not the target. Same thing with, with, with uh, what else? Golf. I'm not a golf fan or a tennis fan. I don't watch those sports. Those sports are thriving without me. There's millions of people who love those sports. Those sports should not change what they're doing to try to appeal to people who don't like the sport. Now, again, I'm not saying I'm against the pitch clock. Not against it. I'm willing to say, hey, look, if that's going to make the game better and more exciting for me as someone who's already a baseball fan, great. Let's see how it works. But what I'm saying is that's not going to get more people to watch baseball. It's not. You tried it with the All-Star game. Hey, it now determines home field advantage. It didn't get more people to watch the All-Star game. 
like the fans of the sport are the ones you should be catering to. And those are not the people who are complaining about the length of the game. Another thing I heard in passing, uh, Mel Kuyper was talking about uh, Bryce Young in the draft. Uh, quarterback from Alabama, and he was talking about how, uh, you know, teams have concerns about these other guys, and they have concerns about C.J. Stroud. And I stopped, and I said, what, what is the concern about C.J. Stroud? Like, what is the concern? Can, I, can anyone tell me why any team would be worried about drafting C.J. Stroud? The kid's never been in trouble. Never been in trouble. Went to the Elite 11 camp in high school and won MVP when he wasn't projected to even, he was, nobody even knew who he was going in. Goes to Ohio State, sits for a year. Doesn't start right away. He got redshirted, sat. Hey, bro, you going to sit. Never heard no complaints. Didn't transfer. Didn't leave. Came in that next year, had to compete for the starting job, won it. Nominated for a Heisman. Like, comes in, does everything he's supposed to do. Comes back again. Now expectations are high. Comes in and delivers again. Goes to the playoff when everyone said they backed in. And yes, they did. They did. But everyone worried. Went up against the number one team who's been the number one team all year. Who was the eventual national champion. Who won by a record margin. Went up against that team. And did everything he was supposed to do. Everything. Threw the ball all over that team. Ran the ball when he had to all over that team. Last last minute of the, of the, of the game. Had to make a drive to get in the field goal range to win the game. Got him there. And if not for some people think a shaky play call. Come on. They're there. They win. He's in the national championship. You don't think Ohio State beats TCU? Maybe they don't do it as convincingly as like 63 to 7, but they win. What concerns do you have? He's showing you he's got all the skills. He can run it. He can throw it. He's accurate. He's got all that. He's showing you that. He's got the size. 6'3", 200 plus pounds. Like he's got the size. What are you concerned about? He's never been in trouble. Look at his social media. There's nothing questionable on there. Like, squeaky clean image. Thanks God in every post. Like, takes all the responsibility for losses. Gives all the credit for wins. He does everything you want a quarterback to do. And you're going to sit here and tell me there's still concerns about what concerns? Meanwhile, you look at Bryce Young, who clearly is way smaller than you'd like him to be. He don't have he don't have the size, the height, all that stuff. Like you're still trying to think, oh, is he gonna hold up? Well, we don't know. Like, what are you talking about? This again is a little SEC bias coming into play. It's because Bryce Young played for Alabama in the SEC, where everyone looks at as being the superior conference. And, you know, CJ Stroud played for Ohio State, and Ohio State has great receivers, and their quarterbacks never come into the league and do anything. And so now you're judging this kid on that. Well, hey, scouts, do me a favor. Go ahead. Sleep on C.J. Stroud if you want to. Here's what I know. C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback in this draft. He's got the prototypical size. He's got great arm talent. 
He's got really good mobility. He's got a great attitude. He's not a selfish kid. Like, come on. Can't miss prospect. Draft a guy. You got yourself a good one. Don't sit there and tell me about concerns because what concerns exist? What's concerning to me, actually, is Stephen Jones came out recently this week and heaped a whole bunch of praise on Dak. And they're talking about they want to keep Dak for the long haul. Well, here's what's happening. Dak Prescott has two more years left on his contract with a big cap hit attached to both years. What the Cowboys want to do is extend him, reducing that cap hit now, pushing it off till later, clearing up some cap space to try to improve the team around him. Dak Prescott, obviously, I don't think wants to do that because he wanted to sign a shorter deal initially because he wanted to be able to get two more big time contracts in before his time was up. Here's the problem. If you're the Cowboys and you want to extend them to help you now, you're stuck with them longer. And as a, as a fan of the Cowboys and as someone who has zero faith in Dak Prescott, I don't like the idea of extending him out and keeping him longer. But if you're Dak Prescott and you're thinking, hey, my stock is pretty low right now. I should extend and get more money over a longer period of time rather than taking that gamble of saying I'll take the money now and hopefully get another contract. Guys, I'm not a fan of Dak Prescott. I don't like Prescott as my quarterback. I don't think you can get far with Dak Prescott unless the team around him is amazing. And if they load up around him and they give him every single weapon, every single running back of the best offensive line in the league, if they create the best defense in the league, sure, sure, he could win then because then it's not on him then it's not on him. But if it has to be on him to make plays, I don't trust him to do it. And not because of last year. I've seen it for seven now. Six. Seven. Six. Yeah, seven. Seven years I've seen it. Like, I just, I'm not a believer. I'm not. I think you're trying to take a guy and he's still work. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't even want to get into it. I don't even want to dog on it no more. You've heard me say it a million times. Zach Prescott's not the guy. You know who else is having an interesting quarterback situation? The New York Giants. That's right. Daniel Jones. Yep. They can franchise tag him or they could try to extend him. But they're talking about the market being somewhere between 40 and $45 million a year. What? Look, you can be the biggest Daniel Jones supporter in the world. I don't fault you. If that's your guy, cool. That's your guy. We all have our guy. Listen, Jared Goff is my guy. That's my guy. You tell me I can get Jared Goff on the Cowboys today. I'm right now. Do it right now. I would trade Dak Prescott for Jared Goff in a heartbeat and not feel any guilt about it. I would think I just made the greatest move in NFL history. So I get it if Daniel Jones is your guy. But here's the problem. Let's all agree. Daniel Jones is not worth $45 million. And let's break it down even further. It's not that he's not deserving of $45 million just by itself. But by giving him that much money, he's eating up so much of your cap that you have to take cuts somewhere else. Daniel Jones is not good enough to carry a bad team. He's not. We can all agree. Even if that's your guy, you know that he still needs everything around him. Kind of like Dak Prescott. Right? And I know you'll say, well, most quarterbacks need players, right? Yeah, they do. 
But the difference is someone like a Tom Brady can take B receivers and win. Daniel Jones needs A-plus receivers to win. He does. And if this year is any indication, again, you started 6-1 and one and you won three games over the last 10. Like, that's what it was. So don't do that. You need A-plus receivers, an A-plus running back, an A offensive line, and a great defense if you're going to have Daniel Jones. And if he's making 45 to $50 million a year, you ain't going to be able to afford that. Which means you are about to get yourself in a real bad situation. So if I'm the Giants, hey, look, man, I'm not paying you that. I'll give you 25 And I know that that's like a lot in like regular people world, but in the NFL world, that's not a lot for your starting quarterback. I'll say, hey, Danny Dimes, I'm giving you $25 million. Like, to me, that's fair. To me, that's fair. That's about appropriate value, I would say. $25 million a year? Like, come on, man. Like, come on. Up, in, up until last year, even Giants fans wanted to get rid of him. I'll put it to you this way. If you're saying, yo, no, give, pay him, do whatever you got to extend him, if Aaron Rodgers was available for you, would you trade Danny Dimes for Aaron Rodgers? How many Giants fans do you think are going to look me in my face and say, no, I wouldn't trade him? Of course you would. Of course you trade him. Why wouldn't you? Again, this isn't hate. This is just saying that's a lot of money to pay to your quarterback who hasn't shown the ability to carry your franchise. And that's what he's going to have to do if you give him the big money. That's why I've been saying all year long, Lamar Jackson should take just a little bit less just so he can make sure the team has the opportunity to put things around him. And then if they don't, then hey, man, that's that's a risk. But when you're talking about the Ravens, like they've been putting a good team around for two decades now. You can trust that they're going to do it. They've got a great reputation. So let's move now. Uh, I want to finish up with this. I want to finish up with uh, the running backs and the 2023 NFL draft. And one thing that I'm starting to learn as I'm going through these position groups is I think I like the guys. I don't really like the top guys. I don't. I feel like I'm starting to like all the lower tier guys. And maybe th- this is this is a thing for me when it comes to running back. I'm sure at receiver it will be different, although the number one the consensus number one receiver, Quentin Johnson, I'm just gonna say it right now, I'm not a fan. I don't see it at all. But we'll get into that next week when we go over receivers. But for today, I want to talk about running backs. We got the combine coming up this weekend. I'm very excited about that. That's a super Exciting time. I, I love watching the draft stuff, man. The draft is my jam. Um, but here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to give you my top 10 of the running backs. But here, here's what I like. When I'm watching running backs, I like the running backs that look like they have a little bit of something special. I don't need the high-profile guy. I don't need the big school guy. I need the guy that looks like he runs with a purpose. Right. Like I like those tough, gritty guys from the other schools that you might not see every Saturday. And you're like, yo, that guy. Because, again, I'm thinking from the Cowboys perspective, I'm not drafting a running back high. Except there's one. There's one I might draft in the second or third round. But I'm not I'm not like, no, I'm not. I'm thinking of guys that I'm going to be able to find in the draft later in the draft. That's kind of where my eyes are geared to. So, again, my list, 
probably vastly different from everybody else's list. And you might even think my list is outrageous. Like, you might think my list is stupid. But this is my list, man. Just watching the guys unbiased, just picking the ones that, you know, grading them out uh, based on speed, power, hands, ability to catch out of the backfield and burst and, like, how much, you know, can you get 0 to 60 quick? That's what I need in the back. I need a guy that can hit that hole and, whoo, take off. That's what I need. My number one, my number one running back in this draft, I got Sean Tucker from Syracuse. At number two, I got Keaton Mitchell from East Carolina. Number three, I got Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State. Number four, I have my personal favorite running back, uh, Zach Evans from Ole Miss. Number five, I have Kendra Miller from uh, TCU. Number six, I have Israel Abinakanda from Pitt. That's a hard last name, bro, but that kid's that kid's phenomenal. Uh, at number seven, I got Shadoric Thompson from Texas Tech. At number eight, I got Tank Bigsby from Auburn. Nine, I got Tajay Spears from Tulane. And ten, I got Cameron Peoples from Appalachian State. That's my top ten. And if you're wondering where Bijan Robinson from Texas lands, I got him right outside the top 10 at 11. Now, let me just say it this way. Let me just say it this way. I know you're probably all like take, throwing your headphones off or throwing your earbuds out or cursing me out or whatever. Find me on social media, cyber underscore pod, and let me know what you really think. We could talk about it. <laughs> I know my list is wild. Look, when I was writing the name, because again, I got I got the list of running backs. I go one by one. I watch the film. I grade them out. I think here's what I think of this, or here's what I think of this. Here's where I list this, and then afterwards I look at the final number, and then I say, all right, here's the number, and boom, top number is number one, and then you go down the list until you get to the lower numbers, and you grade it that way. Correct? Okay. When I'm writing the list of the guys, I'm like, wow, I had that guy graded that high. Like, oh, this guy was. I thought that much of this. Guy. Like sometimes you look at the names and they don't, and you don't realize that. Like, wow, that's. But again, this is what I'm looking for. So Bijan Robinson, like these guys are all very close too, by the way. Like the, all these running backs, very similar. Okay, in terms of all of them have something really good and then something that's like, eh, it's all right. But with Bijan Robinson, I see he might be the best overall, like he can do everything pretty good kind of guy. Like, you know, there's nothing he doesn't do well. But he's also not exceptional at anything. I don't think he has exceptional bursts. I don't think he has great speed. I don't think he has great power. I don't think he has great hands. I think he's just a very well-rounded running back. Probably the safest running back. But if I'm grading you out in terms of like traits, like Sean Tucker to me has unbelievable burst. That guy is 0-60 in a flash. Oh, man, watching that guy's film. Like, look, man, that guy go like shot out of a cannon. He's got really good speed. He's got really good uh, power. He's got really good hands out of the backfield. Can plays like a receiver almost. Like I think Sean Tucker's the best. That's my opinion. If the Cowboys could land Sean Tucker, I would love it. Deuce Vaughn, outside of the fact that he's so little, like, but if you watch him play, burst, speed, power, you're out of your mind. That guy's ridiculous. And I think that's a guy that you'll be able to pick up late in the draft who's going to come in and play phenomenal for you. Obviously, the comparisons are going to be like a Darren Sproles coming from the same school, really small, just the same. But, like, that guy is a weapon. That guy, Deuce Vaughn, say what you want. He's little, and I know you might not. You might be like, eh, I'm going to stay away from that. But that guy can play. That guy has got some impressive traits. Um, Kendra Miller from TCU. Like, to be honest with you, I like him more than B. John Robinson, too. I do. I think he's got, I think he's got better burst. 
Like I just that's just what I think. I think Bijan is just a well-rounded player, but like, come on, man. Like it, it for me, that's just what it is. But again, like they're not far. I'm not saying Bijan Robinson's terrible. You can't take him in the first round. But if there was one running back I could get in this draft, my personal favorite, like I said, is Zach Evans from Ole Miss. That guy to me is everything I want in a running back. Everything I want in a running back. He's got speed. He's got hands. He's strong. He's got good burst. Just a very, like, just a a fun player to watch. Fun player to watch, man. So that's my list, guys. So, again, Sean Tucker from Syracuse. I got it one. Keaton Mitchell from East Carolina. Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State. Zach Evans from Ole Miss. Kendra Miller from TCU. Israel Abinakanda. Sorry if I'm messing up your name, bro. You're a phenomenal player from Pittsburgh. I got him at six. Shadoric Thompson from Texas Tech was actually really fun to watch. Tank Bigsby from Auburn at eight. Tajay Spears from Tulane. And Cameron Peoples from Appalachian State. That guy was fun to watch, too. That's my list. That's my list, man. I stand by it. Look, running backs for me, that's a weird group. I understand running backs, you know, dime a dozen. And like I said, most of these guys are very similar in talent. You know, there's not a great disparity between most of them. So that's how I see it. You might see it different. But like I said, you know, catch me on social media and uh, and let me know how you feel about it. That's my time, y'all. Look, I appreciate y'all coming through again. Like I said, I spent the weekend at Disney. So there's probably a lot of sports stories that I just flat out missed or didn't catch. I was too busy with the fam. What do you want me to do? But this is this is what I got for you today. You know what I mean? Next week we'll come back with a I'm sure there'll be a whole bunch of other things. You know, you got LeBron hurt now. What does that mean? You got the combine will be done. We could talk about that. I'm definitely gonna have a lot to recap on the combine because we're gonna get some real numbers, some real sizes. I'm sure there's gonna be some shakeups. And look, we're gonna see the quarterbacks throw. That's what I'm excited about to see these quarterbacks throw. And we're gonna see. We are gonna see what my guy Clayton Toon can do. And we're gonna see what my guy CJ Stroud can do. And we're gonna see if the narrative starts to change about these quarterbacks and people start changing the order and whatnot. We're gonna see. So we're gonna have a lot to talk about next week. Um, spring training is heating up. I'll probably have some uh, opinions on some teams and things that they're doing there. We got uh, more NFL draft stuff, like I said. We got the NBA ramping up, getting ready to get into playoff time. I'm starting to invest into that. And don't look now, but the Knicks look pretty good, man. I might come in with a hot take next week. I don't know. I don't know. I'm giving it some time before I just jump out on that ledge, but I might have a hot take regarding the Knicks. And, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate you coming through. Look, follow me on all social media platforms, S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D. That's S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D, Cyberpod, on all social media platforms. That's YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. I'm everywhere. You can find me on there. Hit me up. Let's interact. We are trying to build the cyber family, the community, where we can all come through and talk sports and have a bunch of fun, talk a bunch of trash, and just have a good time in sports, man. That's what it's about. It's supposed to be a distraction from all the, 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 the nonsense of the real world. Let's get into the cyber world. Join the cyber family. I'll see you guys next week.